Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing's going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli, live from the Democratic Presidential Debate in Detroit on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm here live inside of the spin room. It's night two. Halftime is just about over. Night two of the second Democratic Presidential Debate. All eyes in just a few short hours here in the Motor City will be on former Vice President Joe Biden, Senators Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, don't forget about Julian Castro and a host of others. But how will the ideological shadow of Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders cast itself on the historic Fox Theater? Back where Elvis Presley used to perform. We've got an all-star panel joining us here for the hour live from inside of the spin room. We've got Wendy, Benja Wendy Benjaminson. She is Bloomberg News 2020 politics editor. I don't know how she keeps track of all the candidates. Francesca Chambers is going to stop by, White House correspondent for the Daily Mail. Max Greenwood is national political correspondent for the Hill newspaper. And Adrian Watson will make her uh, sound on debut. She is war room director for the Democratic National Committee. I'll also bring you a portion of my interview from earlier today on Bloomberg Television with Democratic National Committee Chairman Tom Perez. But before we get to all of that, we are literally across the street from the historic Fox Theater, where in just a few short hours, the CNN night two of the Democratic presidential debate is underway. You can listen to night two of the Democratic presidential debate here tonight on Bloomberg Radio. I'm broadcasting from live within the spin room. The spin room. It was I was dizzy last night. Like every candidate comes through here. They say their spin, they won, this one lost, blah, but we're all friends, we're all friends. We're going to get more of that tonight, but all eyes will be on former Vice President Joe Biden. He has his task set out for him. He will be standing literally right next to Senator Kamala Harris, a Democrat from California. She skyrocketed to the top of the polls following a strong debate showing, a strong debate showing uh, during the first presidential debate in Miami. And also on that stage, Senator Cory Booker. Senator Cory Booker, a Democrat from New Jersey. And there's a lot to get through. We're going to have every angle covered, politics and policy. Here with me for the hour, we've got Wendy Benjaminson. She is Bloomberg News 2020 politics editor. And Max Greenwood, national political correspondent for The Hill. Wendy, you and I were talking, I believe, like outside of the on the streets of Detroit earlier today. <laughs> With a homeless guy too, yeah. As we're like, as we're like downing coffee, trying to stay awake. Uh, but, but what are you gonna be looking for? What's Biden gotta do tonight that he didn't do in Miami? 
knock it out of the park. That's what yep. Biden's got to do. He has got to show that he's actually better at debating these issues than former Congressman John Delaney. I mean, <laughs> John Delaney is a single-digit polar, low single-digit polar, and he challenged Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders last night quite effectively. Joe Biden, former vice president, senator for over 30 years, has got to be able to do that, too. Max Greenberg, when you look at someone like Senator Kamala Harris, what does she have to do tonight? Because she's put out a policy proposal with regards to health care, and now she's effectively saying, let's debate policy. Well, Kamala Harris isn't uh, really an ideologue in the same way that uh, Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren are. So she has been a little bit slower to the punch and, and, and putting out some of these policy proposals, um, her health care proposal or her, her general uh, her general health care plans have been a little bit vague in the past, and she seemed to address that last week by putting out uh, a policy of her own, very similar to uh, uh, a Medicare for All type plan, but uh, that would allow for private insurers to be in place. Uh, so I think tonight she's going to have to articulate that policy. She's going to have to show voters that she's serious about uh, sticking to these policies and uh, and drawing a strong contrast with uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren last night. You know, I was struck by this, and Max made, makes, is alluding to this point, Wendy, but on the issue of the jabs, you know, and the, and the one-two punches and the political punches, the Booker and Biden campaigns have been duking it out. I mean, not, you know, not going politically nuclear, but for lack of a better term, I mean, serving some Twitter fire, so to speak, uh, going back and forth. Is, is Senator Cory Booker really gonna gonna try to emerge as, as as making that jab against against the front runner like Biden? He wasn't on the same I believe wasn't on the same stage as him down in Miami, but Kamala Harris was able to steal the thunder. That's right, and Cory Booker has been trying so hard to get into the first sort of wrong tier. of tier first tier of presidential candidates. That's right, and he's doing it by in a very traditional way by attacking the front runner. And he has attacked Biden. Biden has let his campaign do the, the counter punches. And tonight we'll see if he's going to sort of bother with with Booker or take it on take on Kamala Harris himself. You know, it's the problem with being the front runner. So there's only one way to go. I mean, you're in the front. Everyone, you're the leader of the pack. Everyone's taking shots at you. And so I think you know, a question I have is, are are is it? I don't want to say fair. I mean, it's politics, but in the sense, is it? Biden's still at the top of the polls. I mean, he, he hasn't, like, plummeted. His stock hasn't, like, completely flipped upside down. He's still number one, Max. Yeah, I mean, Biden's still in first place. And, and like you said, he's got nowhere to go at this point. But, uh, you know, you, you can go in one direction. You know, he can't really go up anymore. Uh, he, he's, he's, you know, stuck around, you know, double digits for, for quite a while. So, uh, you know, there's a lot riding on him tonight. He, you know, if he stumbles again like he did in the first debate, He's, uh, you know, he could go down a little bit more, and it's, uh, you know, someone's got to have to supplant him in, as like that moderate uh, leader. He's also in a tricky position tonight, Kevin, because he's going to be flanked by two candidates of color, and he, this this stage tonight is much more diverse than last night's stage. Um, so he's going to be flanked by Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, and he can't look like the old establishment white guy beating up on two candidates of color. On the other hand, if he doesn't look strong, he's going to look like the weak old white guy. I'm struck by this. You and I were talking about this, Wendy, about how will, what will his vision be? Because in addition to the political uh, situation that he finds himself in on the defensive, really, or, or trying to get back on offense, what will his message be to the two candidates who aren't on that stage tonight, but who have really framed 
the parameters of the democratic ideological debate. Agree with Medicare for all, don't agree with Medicare for all. We're talking about Medicare for all, Max. So what will the policy ideas and the vision for the future be coming from the Biden campaign tonight? That is really, you know, I, 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 you know, that I think is, is something people want to hear from, from Joe Biden. They're familiar with his Scranton roots. They're familiar with his, with his, uh, you know, uh, his family, his story. Uh, but what ideas will he put forth that will be Biden's plan? Well, I think you're, first of all, going to see him talk a lot about his uh, criminal justice reform plan that he came out with last week. I, I, I you know, and, and uh, I, I think he, does that because he's on the stage with Booker, who has put a lot of pressure. Who have attacked him over the crime bill. <laughs> right, right. And, and you know, it's, it's the idea of making clear that, uh, and let's go back to the first debate. Kamala Harris went after Biden uh, on the issue of busing, but it very much touched on the issue of race. Uh, Booker has gone after him on uh, mass incarceration and, and racial disparities in the criminal justice system. So I think what you're going to see is Biden going on, on offense, really trying to explain himself, and uh, uh, making a positive impression. You know, and, and the Biden campaign's pitch has been that he can win back those 70,000 voters flipped from uh, President Obama to, to, and, and voted for Trump. And in states like Michigan, where we are, General Motors country, General Motors country, the headquarters of General Motors, just a few short blocks from where we are. Speaking of the economy, the president tweeting about it, uh, he tweeted out just within the last half hour what the market wanted to hear from Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve was that this was the beginning of a lengthy and aggressive rate-cutting cycle which would keep pace with China and other countries. As usual, Powell let us down. I'll get to those implications coming up and how the economy will frame night two of the second Democratic presidential debate. Panel stays. Francesca Chambers is here. She's going to join us. You can download the sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli in the Motor City. This is Bloomberg. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli, live from the Democratic presidential debate in Detroit, Michigan, on Bloomberg Radio. Bruce Springsteen, one of my favorites. Look, it was no shade to Beto O'Rourke and the Born to Run controversy when he launched in uh, Vanity Fair, the cover. Remember that? I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. I'm looking literally at the spin room floor here in downtown Detroit, where it will be home to the second night two of the second Democratic presidential debate in the Motor City. Here with me, Wendy Benjaminson. She's the Bloomberg News 2020 politics editor, consummate political watcher, observer, and now an analyst uh, of all things politics. Francesca Chambers joined us. She's White House correspondent for the Daily Mail. Max Greenwood's here, former fellow at Huffington Post. Now he is national political correspondent for the Hill newspaper. And I was struck by this, Wendy, because just within the last hour, I mean, the economy really driving the message for the Democrats as well as for Republicans. I mean, you've got Trade Secretary, uh, I'm sorry, U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer, U.S. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin returning from Shanghai, uh, essentially saying the talks are going to continue with the Chinese in the fall. Meanwhile, you've got this major rate cut decision by Fed Chair Jay Powell happening today. I mean, huge news that, they, that they're deciding uh, to cut rates. And the president within the last just like 40 minutes he's saying he's been he's been you know hammering fed chair jay powell publicly on twitter saying please lower the rate cuts you know what he just tweeted he said quote 
As usual, Powell let us down, but at least he is ending quantitative tightening, which shouldn't have started in first place. No inflation. We are winning anyway, but I am certainly not getting much help from the Federal Reserve. I mean, is he doing this to turn the Fed chair into a boogeyman of sorts in case the economy goes south and that way the Democrats can't hammer him, the Democrats who are about to get down that stage in just a few short hours? That's absolutely right. He can blame Fed Chairman Powell for any slowdown in the economy. Um, and this is, the slowdown in the economy is exactly what this Democratic field needs to show that this expansion of Trump's is uh, not long lasting and is his fault because of the trade wars. And so it's actually good news for the Democrats, maybe not so great news for the country. You know, I, I'm struck by this. Francesca Chambers, senior White House correspondent for the Daily Mail, because this is where we are standing in Detroit, Michigan, just a few short blocks from the headquarters of General Motors, auto workers. I mean, these are swing voters that the Democrats, whoever's on that stage, former Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, Julian Castro, they're going to have, they're going to debate in a few short hours. They're going to have to talk directly to those voters and make the pitch on issues like trade policy. This came up last night, Francesca. I want to play for you what Beto O'Rourke said about tariffs, the former Texas congressman. Take a listen to what Beto said about tariffs and whether or not they're good to negotiate. They're a huge mistake. They constitute the largest tax increase on the American consumer, hitting the middle class and the working poor especially hard. And farmers in Iowa and across the country are bearing the brunt of the consequences. Better reward, Francesca says tariffs bad. Sanders and Warren don't necessarily agree with them. And in fact, we've got this big USMCA deal that could get voted on in just a few short months. Warren's against it, not because of tariffs, but because she says it's not progressive enough. Take a listen to what she said last night about USMCA. Anyone who thinks that these trade deals are mostly about tariffs just doesn't understand what's going on. Look at the new NAFTA 2.0. What's the central feature? It's to help pharmaceutical companies get longer periods of exclusivity so they can charge Canadians, Americans, and Mexicans more money and make more profits. That's what trade deals have become. So if it feels like I'm jumping around between the Fed and China <laughs> and USMCA, I mean, it's because all of it blurs together. No, it absolutely does. And I was honestly surprised that it didn't get more discussion last night. The first hour of the debate was really about Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan. And of course, then from there, they moved into the topic of illegal immigration, which veered back to, toward health care. But we didn't really get to hear very much from Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders about these topics, which was surprising considering that Donald Trump has spent so much time saying the reason that he should be reelected is because of the economy and that he's the dealmaker chief. Um, but none of those deals have really come to fruition. So far. The U.S. MCA, he, he has agreed on that with, you know, with Canada and Mexico, but Congress, as you just pointed out, has not passed that. Meanwhile, he hasn't had a trade deal with Japan. He has not otherwise had uh, some of these other trade deals work out either. You know, I, I'm stuck on, on U.S. MCA, Max, because look, I mean, I grew up outside of Philly, Delco, Delaware County. I mean, but here in Detroit, Michigan, NAFTA, I mean, there were those voters who flipped from Obama to Trump, I mean, it's because of things like healthcare, it's because of things like NAFTA. So this is like, I mean, this is in many ways to some voters, to, to auto workers, to, to union workers, and to refinery workers, this is in many ways just as if not more important than an issue like healthcare. 
It is. I, I, you know, and you see that on the Democratic side as well. Uh, I think there was a general feeling in 2016 that Hillary Clinton didn't campaign very hard in Michigan, that she didn't address some of the same issues that Donald Trump addressed in terms of economic uh, anxiety in uh, you know, the, the Midwest, including Michigan. Uh, so uh, when you look at Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren specifically now, they are making a, a concerted effort to win over some of these voters that flipped from Obama to Trump. And it's fascinating because Sam's beat Clinton in Michigan in the Democratic primary. Coming up, more politics, policy, and analysis just hours away. Can Biden relaunch this Democratic presidential campaign? I'm Kevin Cirilli, live inside of the spin room. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli, live from the Democratic presidential debate in Detroit, Michigan, on Bloomberg Radio. We're bunkered down here inside of the spin room of the Democratic presidential debate in a few short hours. Night two of the second Democratic presidential debate uh, gets underway, and we've got the inside scoop from Sochi Hinosa. She's comms director for the Democratic National Committee. And Adrian Watson, we're bunkered down, and she's the war room director for the DNC. How are they going to fend off the attacks from Republicans on Twitter and on the airwaves? Wendy Benjaminson's here. She is the 2020 politics editor for Bloomberg News. And, you know, I mean, we were talking about really just, just how difficult it is to, f- to cover all this. I'm not complaining, but I mean, you've got a hard job. You've got to cover t- yeah, like 20, <laughs> 20 presidential candidates. I mean, and tonight all eyes are on Biden, Booker, uh, Castro, and of course, uh, Kamala Harris in the rematch. But just put this in historical context for such a crowded field. Yeah, I think they have, and I, I think I would love to hear our other guests talk about this. I mean, I think the DNC has made it possible for there to be this many candidates, which is good for democracy. It exhausts us, but it's probably a good <laughs> thing for democracy. And last night's debate, I think, also that allowed some of these other candidates, like John Delaney, like Montana Governor Steve Bullock, to actually challenge the leading candidates to explain their positions. Whether it did them any good, I don't know. Sochi Hinosa, comms director for the Democratic National Committee. I mean, you're a veteran in terms of Democratic messaging, Democratic politics. But, I mean, just from your perspective, take us behind the scenes here. I mean, this is a lot of candidates. It is a lot of candidates. There are more than 20 candidates running for president, but there are 20 spots on the debate stage over two nights. And you might remember the Republican debates in 2015. Yeah, I was there. That you were there. The kids' table that debates. There was the kids' table. And what we heard is that it put candidates at a disadvantage. So that's why we have two consecutive nights. You know this, but it is very hard to get network time. Uh, yep. And it's very hard to get a weeknight. To get two consecutive nights 
during the week is pretty amazing. And I, if I were Donald Trump, I'd be pretty jealous. See, so that this is fascinating, and it, 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 it's why it's, I'm grateful to get to do this job. Because take away Republican and Democratic labels for a second. I mean, from a Democratic lowercase D perspective, the conversation we're having is. We, li we now live in a country where so many people run for president every cycle that the debate is over how to have the debates. And I put the question to your boss, Sochi, earlier today on Bloomberg Television. Go to BloombergTV.com to watch the full interview. Uh, Tupperez, he's chairman of the Democratic National Committee, about when maybe will these candidates start to dwindle down. Take a listen to the chairman of the Democratic Party and what he said. In September, we have a different threshold. We announced it months ago yes. to give the candidates ample time. Right now, it's 1% or... 65,000 unique voters. In September, it is 2% and 130,000 voters. So that means We're, less candidates. Uh, we will see as the time goes, <laughs> and and we'll 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 know uh, roughly the end of August because that's when um, the period will will end, and the there's going to be ample amounts of polling, and that's going to be up in, in no small measure to the voters and and to the candidates, and that's how it should be because we want to make sure that we create a fair process and then let the chips fall where they may. We've budgeted for two nights. If we have that, uh, that will be great. If we have only one night, uh, that will be, uh, that'll be great as well. And just hearing Sochi, Hanosa, comms director for the DNC, I mean, two nights, you, you just made the case to me, which I, I didn't really think about. I mean, two nights of, of airtime on, on a national network audience uh, is, is messaging for, for the DNC. Adrienne Watson is here as well. She's the war room director. The, what a title. What are you? I'm the war room director yeah. for, for the DNC. I guess it's, we're in the Motor City and there's a motor that just went by in the spin room. Uh, so if you heard that, no idea what it was. So what, what is your job tonight? Tell us what your job is. Well, you know, as war room director, we are pushing back on all of the Republicans, especially Trump's, uh, you know, tweets about, about tonight. But we're really trying to put the spotlight back on our candidates more than anything. Uh, you know, all 24-7, 365, we have a huge team in the war room um, of researchers and analysts and social media folks, communications folks who are constantly going after Trump with rapid response and research on everything he does. But we see tonight really as more of a, a showcase of the alternative to Trump. Wendy, in terms of, of how you how you respond to that, not to put you on the spot, but to put you on the spot, uh, in terms of how you respond to something where there's so much rapid fire, and the president's not just going after the Democratic presidential candidates like Joe Biden or Booker, Harris, uh, Castro, but going after the squad, going after Elijah Cummings, uh, that's got to make it more difficult in, in the sense of how these campaigns are able to respond. Absolutely. I mean, they, they not only have a total of 20 targets or more to go at to distinguish themselves in the Democratic Party, but they also are already fighting a general election matchup. It is traditional for the incumbent president of the United States to sort of sit it out and wait until to see who he's running for, uh, who he's running against, excuse me. And Donald Trump, as we all know, is not going to do that. He is not going to sit quietly until after the Democratic convention and then, you know, run against his opponent. So he's running against not only all of the current field. He's running against members of Congress. He's running against the Fed chairman. He's running against uh, just about anyone, you know, the city of Baltimore, just about anyone he can come up with. Absolutely. But also, and I would want to point out here, is that last night you heard contrasts um, against Donald Trump and kind of these candidates and their vision for America versus Donald Trump. But a lot of it was their proactive policy. It was very substantive. You did not hear name calling. You did not hear 
um, anyone talking about hand as, as um, you know, I just want to remind people, four years ago, was that we, here? Were, we were here at I the was Ford, here. you were here at the Ford Theater, and guess what Donald Trump was talking about? Hand size. You did not hear about that. And so I think that these debates have been very, very substantive. We've been very happy with them. And I think that you will continue to hear these candidates talk about their records. It will get heated. But there will not be name calling. It'd be boring. I mean, and I grew up in an Irish Italian Catholic household. If they're not, if it's not getting heated, no one's having fun. Well, record your record is fair game. It's a debate, right? At the end of the day, any of them would be a better president than Donald Trump. Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's interesting in the sense, Sochi, about how ultimately it is going to get more heated. The, the political knives are going to come out, and and it's for someone like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, I mean, these are high stakes, and and in the sense from the Democrats. From the Democrats' perspective, I, I do want to ask this question because it's something that's buzzing, and I, I'm not asking it in an accusatory way. Why haven't Warren and Biden been on the same stage? Is it just luck of the draw, or like what, what is it like a raffle? Why, why hasn't that happened? It is a luck of the draw, and I'm sure you were watching it on yeah, CNN. Yeah. <laughs> CNN aired the entire thing. It was very dramatic, um, but you know what? It was fantastic because it was one of those things that. The American yeah. people got to see um, exactly how we do it, and it is random drop. All right. All right. Coming up, more politics and policy. What does Biden have to do tonight? Panel stays. I'm Kevin Cirilli, live from inside of the Democratic debate spin room floor. This is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli, live from the Democratic presidential debate in Detroit on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. I'm here live in the Motor City, where in just a few short hours, halftime ends, and it's night two of the second Democratic presidential debate. I'm joined by a panel of political all-stars. Max Greenwood is a national political reporter for The Hill newspaper. Francesca Chambers covers all things White House for The Daily Mail. And Wendy Benjaminson has the is the, the 2020 political editor for Bloomberg News. And we were talking in the break, there's this viral story today about Baron Trump got a pony. Yeah, Baron, Baron Trump got a pony. Hold on, is the mic on? There we go. Go ahead, Baron Sorry Trump. Sorry about that. No, Baron okay. Trump got a pony, but he doesn't really have a pony. What happened? President Trump met today with the Mongolian president, and in a show of respect for the United States, the Mongolians gave the Baron a pony, a, a small horse. My parents, if, if someone ever gave me a pony, my mother would have looked them in the eyes and said, get that thing out of this house. First of all, I'm allergic to horses. Go ahead. Well, it probably won't fit in the White House. And besides, because of some rules, it has to stay in Mongolia. So Baron has a pony, but he has to go to Mongolia to see it. Wow. Okay. I mean, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we're, but that kind of stinks. You get a pony and, like, you can't even keep it. I know. Like, guess kid. what? You're getting a pony. Franchise. I was thinking, guess what? You're getting a pony. But you're never going to get to meet you're it. Gonna it's going to be in it. Mongolia. I feel like that's the thing that you tell your kids. Like, we got you a pony, I swear, but it's in Mongolia. <laughs> or All right. we sent it, it to a farm upstate. It just, uh, in just a few short hours pivoting back to that, that story is just wow I had to mention it uh, just a few short hours vice president former vice president Joe Biden he's going to be back on that stage Francesca what does he have to do tonight to get his campaign back on track Woof. It, I think this is a really really difficult night for him quite honestly because he'll be sandwiched between Kamala Harris 
and Cory Booker, and they are gunning for him. And after the last debate, when he had the clash with Kamala Harris, as it as it was already over the issue of race, and then given Donald Trump's comments along the lines of race over the last couple weeks, I am sure that it will be a major, major, major topic. So the main thing that he has to do, I guess, is not end his last sentence with "Time's up." That's absolutely right. He's got to hit hard and yet balance the old white guy lecturing two candidates of color with being strong enough to show that he can not only take on Kamala Harris, but he can take on Donald Trump. Yeah, that's true. And I think it's undeniable that race is going to be an issue tonight. I mean, just by happenstance, uh, you know, five minority candidates are going to be on stage tonight. You have Booker, Harris, uh, uh, Julian Castro, you have Tulsi Gabbard, and you have Andrew Yang. Uh, so it just so happened that the way this shook out was uh, you had all white candidates on the stage yesterday. Uh, and, uh, you know, today race is certainly going to come up. When it's about ideas, what are Biden's ideas? What is his Medicare for all. I mean, right. Trump had the wall. Uh, Sanders and Warren have Medicare for all. Obamacare. <laughs> I mean, and but, is that but, enough? But right. But but I mean, I think that's a difficulty for him. Is that all of his our ideas were? It was really great when Barack Obama and I were in the White House again. Barack Obama, Barack Obama, send us back to the White House. And that is something that is 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 as he goes along, he's going to have to start adding to those ideas a little bit more. And the really worrisome thing about that is that comes straight out of Hillary Clinton's failed playbook. Right. I'm not Donald Trump. That was her campaign. And that failed. That failed in Michigan. It failed in Pennsylvania. It failed in Wisconsin, et cetera. And so if Joe Biden doesn't come out with something more than I can beat Donald Trump, I'm better than Donald Trump, we're going to have the same thing all over again. Well, I think we're starting to see some sort of effort by Biden. Uh, you know, there, there is his criminal justice reform plan. Uh, he said he does want to expand on, on uh, you know, Obamacare by creating a public option. Just, you know, let's be honest, something that Obama wanted to do in the first place, but didn't have much luck with. Uh, you know, so he does have to, you know, to an extent, sell what he's already put out there and convince voters that this isn't going to be, you know, uh, or that he's campaigning on more than going back four years to when Barack Obama even, was still president. I feel like criminal justice reform is a trap for him. Because right? if he turns it around and says, it is, it's a trap, because if he brings it up, then they're going to turn right back around on him and say, again, you've had 30 years to do this. And oh, by the way, when you had a chance to do this, you did the opposite of this. So you now agree that that didn't work. Why should we send you to the White House? What I just look, I mean, I'm a reporter. I don't mind. I, I think what's what is is. Senator Warren and Senator Sanders are talking about ideas. I'm not saying whether you agree with the ideas or not. Biden's in this, he's got to get off of this rhythm of talking about Biden. You know, talk about the ideas, Wendy, right? That's exactly right. The only trouble with what Sanders and Warren are doing, I think, in terms of electoral strategy, right, right, right. is that they are getting the progressive left, and those people live on the coasts. The trouble is that the key states, again, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, to a lesser extent, Ohio, there are a lot of union workers, and the uh, president of the Service Employees International Union today had a quote that she gave on Bloomberg News that said she was enraged by the by the idea that Medicare for all would take away the great benefits that have union workers have enjoyed for decades in this country, and Democrats have enjoyed union workers' votes. So how are the panel tonight going to address the needs of union workers. You know, there's other candidates up there. Michael Bennett will be on that stage, Kirsten Gillibrand, Julian Castro, Cory Booker, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Andrew Yang, Tulsi Gabbard, Jay Inslee, 
and Bill de Blasio, Kirsten Gillibrand, Francesca Chambers. Yeah, so... The senator from New York. Last time I saw her, we had a very interesting conversation where she declared that she believes that she's benefited from white privilege in her career. And so I'll be curious to see if she brings up that line again as we talk about race this evening and explains a little bit more on how she believes that she's benefited from white privilege. Um, but as you mentioned, all the names of candidates on the stage, I think the biggest thing they have to do is not be forgotten. There were multiple times last night where I just forgot some of these folks were on the stage. Ew. Better work. I just yeah. totally forgot he was there. I feel so bad saying that. But it, I, I, I just Why totally forgot he was there because because he wasn't he wasn't getting very much talk time. He wasn't really jumping in the discussion. John Delaney. I mean, he was getting in there. You know, making sure he got his talk time. And and, and you remembered he was there. He spoke, was I saw there. the list. He was like fourth on the list. Yeah. Klobuchar. I kept forgetting she was there. You know, I I, I think Julian Castro. I think you know he had a he had a strong debate. In Miami, I think I think folks are going to continue to get to know the former HUD secretary, GSE reform, not to get nerdy and in the weeds. I covered the guy when he was doing the GSE, Corker Warner, Fannie Freddie, but now he is the immigration candidate. He is. I mean, I mean, that, can he move beyond that? Well, I mean, it's a wait and see kind of thing. I, you know, he obviously stood out at the last debate talking about the uh, uh, about immigration. He challenged Beto O'Rourke, and and you know, I think that hurt Beto. But I think, uh, you know, this time around, you know, he still needs that bump. He hasn't qualified for the, uh, the debate in September, uh, you know, and he's so close. He's on the verge of qualifying. So if he can just broaden out a little bit or at least double down on an issue and show that he owns it more than anyone. Uh, yeah, to Max's point, Wendy, and that's what I said to Chairman Perez. I mean, for, this is why the stakes are higher. We can talk about Biden all, all you know, all night, and we will. But, <laughs> but uh, I mean, he's the front runner. He's number one. But I mean, that really is where these viral moments come into impact. Social media helped. It didn't just help propel Kamala Harris to the top of the polls. It helped propel her fundraising numbers. I mean, look, these are politicians, but they're also the CEOs of their presidential campaigns. The the burn rate for how much money that they have to get here. And for someone like a Castro, who did have a strong debate in Miami, he's got to get a moment tonight to get bucks to continue going to Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. That's absolutely right. And at some point, I think pretty soon, we're going to start seeing a slight winnowing of the field like we did when Eric Swalwell dropped out shortly after the other debate. I mean, these guys, once you're spending more money than you're raising, it really becomes a fool's errand to continue campaigning for president. See, but even with that, he had a great evening. He had a good debate, and it still wasn't enough. And I think that proved that one night, one night and one comment is just not going to be enough to cut it for these candidates. You know, and honestly, like, I remember when I was growing up outside of Philly, my dad would always say, Kev, you got to flip around, meaning the channels, because you got to, like, see all of it. Go ahead, Wendy, quickly. we got, like, a minute left. Okay, very quickly. I just wanted to say that, you know, Trump's immigration policies have caused a lot of uh, sympathy and heartache on the border issue. And I think Julian Castro is trying to capitalize on that. But his views, I think, are not yeah. in tune with what most of the country is feeling. It's going to be interesting. I want to thank our panel. Don't flip around here. You listen to the second part of the presidential debate all night on Bloomberg Radio. We have continuing coverage uh, all night long. Thank you to our panel and breaking news crossing the Bloomberg terminal within the last half hour that the U.S. Senate voted to confirm Kelly Kraft to be the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. The vote was 56 to 34. All right, guys, just a few short hours away 
from night two of the Democratic presidential debate. Thank you to our panel. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.